0: Hello everyone, my name is Joanne Lockwood and I am your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I have interviewed a number of amazing people and simply had a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's s you can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 62 with the title, It's Painful Not to Belong. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to welcome my guest, Lizette Offley. Lizette describes herself as the genius maker, Lizette Offley, founder of Genius Material and the Genius Principles. When I asked Lisette to describe her superpower, she said, tenacity and sense of humor. Not taking herself too seriously allows her to get back up again and keep going. I know that feeling. Hello, Lisette. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Joe. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm looking forward to our chat.
0: Absolute pleasure. I know we planned this a while ago. and It's finally great to get you on the show. Thank you. So, Lisette, tell me, it's painful not to belong. What does that mean to you?
1: I should I should imagine that most of us at some point have experienced that feeling, that uncomfortable feeling that there's something wrong. I, I certainly know that I have in my time. Too. Two things in particular jump into my mind. The first, perhaps, was when I was at school, secondary school, I had to board for a couple of years. So having started the school as a day girl, or as the boarders call them, day bugs, I then had to board for a couple of years. So I ended up not in either camp, really, not belonging to the one and not belonging to the other, because all the the friendships had already been made by the time I joined the other camp. And that felt really uncomfortable. I was into everything. I was in the orchestra. I was in the tennis um, team and the lacrosse team and, and so on and so on. So I was in groups, thank goodness. But most of the time, I felt like a fish out of water, didn't know where to go, who to talk to, how to be, really. Felt very uncomfortable.
0: How did you overcome that? Or was it just a case of um, bouncing back and and being resilient?
1: Um, Well, I guess at the time, I simply got on with it. I just made the best of everything I could make the best of. Like I say, I was you know, into lots of stuff. And so there were times when I certainly felt included, like the orchestra, for example. Um, but at the age of you know, 14, 15, 16, I just got on with it the way that it was. Over time, things changed. And for example, when I went off to university, very quickly, I found myself included for want of a better word just felt as though i belonged i was loved mm. i was accepted i existed as i am um and you know nothing wrong but you know the, the opposite and i guess i hung on to that experience as a as an alternative that you can always probably you can always find somewhere where you can feel like you belong but then maybe that's something that you may or may not learn as, as you get older and wiser and get a bit more experience under your belt
0: so you mentioned a couple of things there. So inclusion and belonging, mm-hmm. there's there's a difference, isn't there? How do you experience the difference between those two phrases or words?
1: I guess in that example, for me, inclusion is where, where perhaps the environment, other people, circumstances, make it easier for you to step into that space and join in and be part of what's going on. Belonging, perhaps, is the feeling that comes out of that, that you, you're you not worried that you're in the wrong place, that you feel as if you have a part in that place. And I'm just, just trying to cast my mind back to how it felt. I can't speak for anybody else, but I think that's how it materialized for me.
0: Yeah. It's, I think it's different for each of us. And I, I know I know what it's like to be excluded. I know what it's like to be tolerated put up with. And I guess I know what it's like to be included. And I suppose for me, when I think about belonging, it's that extra level above inclusion is where you're truly part of something. Your opinion really matters. You're part of the organizing. You're you're the go-to person you have value you feel that um if you like the passion or the understanding of the mission that whatever you're trying to achieve i think that's that's for me is that is that extra on top of inclusion where you feel part of the organization or part of whatever you're taking part in yeah you're making me think let in aren't you
1: yes yes you're making me think about it and i guess possibly for me because i am an extrovert, which means that most of my energy goes out towards other people rather than inside myself. And I guess the belonging part for me is no longer focusing on me, whether what I'm doing, what I'm saying, who I'm being is acceptable and okay, but actually just so much myself that I disappear, that I'm focusing on what I'm doing there, who I'm doing it with. Hmm so i, I think yeah. you know i've not really thought about this too much before so it's a great conversation to have it makes you think
0: yeah do you remember uh the the american sitcom was it canadian sitcom cheers uh the bar where everyone knows your name and i think mm. the difference for me in, being included is walking in everyone says hi how are you doing what can i get you belonging is where everyone knows your name everyone knows what you're going to drink everyone is pleased to see you there's kind mm. of this Extra level of thinking this is my place that's that for me is the uh, kind of the the icing on it
1: and another dot that i'm now connecting is that my dad was in the army and we did a lot of traveling, a lot of traveling you know in my early years. It wasn't until I was eight years old that I spent more than two terms in any one primary school mm. that 's how much traveling we did, so I guess the belonging thing just wasn't really a thing it hadn't mm. materialized it didn't know what it was you know you'd i I've this, I'm, you know i'm going back how many years trying to think about it now but i suppose i didn't expect necessarily to feel like i belonged i didn't have much experience of that any any it, Any feeling of being established or comfortable in an environment wasn't for long each time. And you know what? Mm. There are are pluses and minuses with that. There are skills and experiences that I've acquired because of that and other things that I've missed out on because of that. There's no right or wrong about it. But it doesn't have tickle me now, having lived in the same area for the last 32 years, that I also come up with things like, oh, yes, but I know someone you can talk to that can help with that, you know, because I, I now know I'm more familiar with my own environment. And, mm. and that only began for me in half a lifetime ago.
0: Yeah. And picking back on what you're saying about how you were, you started off as a day girl or day bug, as you put it, and then mm. uh, moved on to being at a boarder. You weren't excluded from either camp you never really fitted in either because Mm. that's the belonging. Ah, My my tribe, if you like, my people. That's right.
1: And no one else knew that that's how Mm. I was feeling. And I think that's one of the things about the feeling of belonging or rather the opposite of that, that very often other people don't realize that you're struggling. In in fact, only a week ago, I got an email from Dr. David Hamilton, who is a world-class author and much loved. And he's on the speaker circuit um, he's a global name in in self development, and he was talking about all this very same thing, and also saying that other people more than likely won't recognize while he seems confident and happy on the outside. Sometimes he's struggling with these insecurities on the inside, and that's mm. that's tragic really for all of us because we're we're more the same than we are different. We all need the same things. And there are so many of us who, you know, for the want of a, a gentle word or, you know, a, a kind word or, you know, something could feel so much better. I went mm. to a, a school reunion yonks ago. And as I walked in through the door, I could either have lunch with the day bugs. And, you know, I use that word because that was a term that boarders used. So that it was a, definitely a them and us situation. So I could either go and sit and have lunch with the day girls or go and sit and have lunch with the boarders. I didn't know what to do. And by that, I mean I didn't know what I was supposed to do, what other people would think of me if I chose A over B. Anyway, I chose A and got into conversation with somebody who had always been in that camp. And she was astonished that I had any of these negative feelings at school. She said that I seemed confident and happy and, like I keep saying, into everything. Mm. She had no idea. And she obviously you know, was the sort of person who would have gone the extra mile for me if she'd realized that I was struggling in any shape or form. But I didn't let on because for me, there was something wrong with me that I wasn't accepted. And I bet that's part of the problem for a lot of people too, not feeling as if they're belonging, not knowing what to do or how to be in order to be accepted. And all the while making it mean that there's something wrong with them. And that's, Does in a way, that, how I got into the work I do.
0: Yeah. Do you think that plays into your identity? Um, when you, you, again, using your day versus borders um, uh, analogy there, you didn't know what your identity was. Were you a day girl or were you a border? Mm-hmm. And you didn't want to be picking a side. You wanted to be in the middle of everything so your identity was confused therefore you didn't feel like you were belonging fully in either camp because you weren't bringing who you were because you didn't really understand who you were as well and i think i mean i give an example in my own life when i gender transitioned about 5 years ago i was a member of a club and the club is for men so when it when i was invited back to come as a, as as me as, as a woman it didn't feel right because my entire identity around that club was as a man, but I wasn't a man. It just felt uncomfortable. I was felt very welcome. I was felt very included, but I didn't belong there. Mm. It wasn't my people. It, or, it, it just felt wrong. So mm. I think our identity is, is hugely important when mm. we think about whether we belong as part of something or not.
1: And in the example that I'm using, of course, a teenager – desperately we all go through well i think we all go through but it's common for us to go through a phase where we just want to fit in as a teacher of 20 years watching the the teenagers growing up understanding that they all like to feel as if they're rebelling against authority their parents the school you know just being themselves doing things their way and they all end up looking the same anyway you know, they've all got their skirts hoiked up to here and their socks down to there, you know, and their tie round, round their neck in an attempt to not conform. But they've all not conformed in an identical fashion because that means they fit in.
0: Yeah.
1: They fit in with Is each other. Anarchic, and we go through that, isn't it? Yeah. We go through that phase, I think, where it's really important to us. To, know, to begin to learn who we are so that we can be ourselves, but at the same time, we're an acceptable version of ourselves that, mm. that our peers accept. It's, it's quite a complex thing, really. I mean, you know, time and time again, I think just how amazing we are as human beings, that we, mm. we, we can do any of that stuff at all.
0: It's kind of creating our, our tribe, isn't it? Our safe space. Yeah. The people we feel comfortable yeah. around. Yeah, the people yeah. are trusted. It enhances our belonging our identity yes i think you know, if we think about um you know when we can relax our know, psychological safety we trust those people around us you, know, you think back to every generation of, of young person who's mm. grown up i think since post-war i think rock and roll the 50s was the first time that children were allowed to have an identity that wasn't
1: yes. based around and, their parents and a That's we had some
0: freedom yeah. and uniform we able to break out and I think you don't know, yeah. but to my childhood I suppose I grew up in the the tail end of the 60s and the early part of the 70s so it was kind of a bit of flower power flares hippie mm. Mm. moved into rockers punks
1: mm. and
0: then evolved into new romantics and mods and and rockers and things. so each one of those different groups different Based on music, based on culture, based on Mm. dress sense, Mm. created their own sub identity, their own identity who they were. I'm a mod, I'm a rocker, I'm a new romantic, I'm a punk. Yeah, and you say they're trying to be different, but they're being different within a tribe, within a community where they have that sense of belonging.
1: Because of course, you know, as time's gone on, and I've I've learnt my craft, you know, with with the work that I'm doing now, I've I've realised that one really quick and easy way of feeling like you belong is to make yourself as a group different from another group or the others. And mm-hmm. we, we do that um, watching football. You know, I'm wearing a blue shirt and I'm a Chelsea fan and the others are over there are wearing a red shirt and they're an Arsenal fan. I mean, the fact that they live next door to me and we'll, you know, have cups of tea together and and, and whatnot is irrelevant right now because right now they're over there in red and I'm over here in blue. So you know that can be fun and games and perfectly um, natural and healthy for us. It's, it's it's so when it you know when we overstep the mark and we take all of that far too seriously and we think it really really means something about us. It's it's an easy it's an easy route to take to find something that you have in common with somebody that nobody else shares because that makes you mm. feel as if you really know and understand each other. You're another version of me and I'm okay. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's very very interesting, and I've I've noticed noticed that as I've you know I've learned about psychology and about the way human beings work, I can see the wood for the trees a lot better than I ever could when I was fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, just trying to survive.
0: Hmm, it's funny you're saying you are you you and your blue shirt Chelsea supporter. Uh, I have been to Stamford Bridge once. My friend's uh, he, he even named his daughter Charlie
1: after ah. Charlie Cox.
0: Um Charlie Cook. Is it Charlie Cook? It? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Um, he even named his daughter after Charlie anyway. Um, but I, I I'm, 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 so my blue comes from Portsmouth. Um, okay. And my, my brother moved to Derby and <laughs> there was a year where Derby and Portsmouth were in the, both, both in the same league. And it, it, my brother's children became Derby County fans because that's where they of lived. Course. Why not? I mean, yeah. it's, it's obvious.
1: Yeah. Even
0: acquired a bit of a Derby accent. And, uh, I remember my brother said, well, do you want to go and see Pompey play Derby mm. when you're up here at the baseball ground or where, wherever they were playing at the time? And I said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. And it never occurred to me. I'd be in the Derby County yes. end. <laughs> so there I was with my brother and his two children and my wife, mm. Marie. We were in the Derby County end and Portsmouth scored first. And of course, mm. I, mm. I had to stay What'd sat do? down. I had to put my, <laughs> put my hands between my legs and go, and just sort of let out a little, yay, <laughs> quietly. <laughs> And that's then, funny. and then Derby Derby equalised the second half, and I remember sitting there thinking, "Yes, I can't be no. the only person for miles yes. uh, sat on my Not seat looking hearing. miserable." So okay. I had to sort of stand up and sort of make it look like as I was happy. for And, to get the <laughs> and, of and of course, it was the most uncomfortable thing, the most uncomfortable thing I've ever been through. And, it and made that's me, a like, very again, benign. Thing.
1: Yes, yeah. and it's a very. A very benign thing because you're with your family for goodness sake mm. but sometimes you know the situation can be a lot more dangerous than that can't it
0: yeah and it's now leading me to think you know when people cover mask or or hide their identity mm. which is what i was effectively yeah. doing it, it was so exhausting yeah. and at the end of it i felt this huge yeah. sense of relief to go back into the into the air yeah. and breathe again and i it's not until we started talking that i remember those feelings about, I was covering and masking my identity. I was hiding who yeah. I was.
1: Yeah, well, that's yeah. that's actually one of the genius principles: giving yourself permission to be yourself and finding a way to do that safely. Because it, because it's totally exhausting. It uses a lot of your brain power, thinking all the time. What am I supposed to be doing? What's acceptable here? Who should I be? And if your part of your brain is doing that, well, then good luck being good at whatever it is you are trying to do, mm. you know, your job of work or being the best parent you can be, or, you know, whatever the situation is. It's exhausting pretending all the time. And and yet, you know, we all talk about inclusion. And yet a lot of people find it very difficult to be themselves. In their place of work, they 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 hide themselves or they pretend to be someone else. I even knew somebody who deliberately um, started wearing dull colour clothes, not like her at all, normally, but started wearing navy blue, brown and black at work, hoping that she could blend into the background because she felt so threatened there. At the same time, she was trying to Um, step forward and be available for promotion and new opportunities and that's like you know putting your foot on the accelerator and the brake at the same time because if you're trying to blend into the background you're going to end up with the jobs that nobody else wants and you're certainly not going to shine and you know be the best version of yourself and it's just so common. That's the tragedy of it all. We keep talking about everyone being themselves and bringing their thing. Oh, Oscar Wilde's something like, be yourself, everyone else is taken. Great, mm. great, great. But actually doing it can be another thing altogether.
0: Yeah, I I, I hear that. Yeah, Be yourself, YOLO, uh, be authentic. Uh, and I, my reaction to that is that's easy for you to say. Yeah. The, the more privilege you have, The less complex your life is, the less you've got to hide. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's easy to be yourself. It's a very, Mm. I think it's a very uh, invalidating statement. It's like saying everyone can succeed if they try hard enough. Mm. Be yourself. Everyone has to take it. Yes, it's an ideal. Mm. But it it almost invalidates other people's lived experience, the challenges they face in their life. Yeah, it it is. and When you're talking about the the complexity of this multiple identities or, or covering your identity, I always think it because I've got a computing background, and I always think it's like an extra subroutine that you have to insert between every word or every sentence. Mm. So you've got all that extra processing going on before you can move on to That's the next thing. That's a great that analogy.
1: Right yeah. And it How much effort is Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's, you think about people who are, uh, in the LGBT community, not wanting to talk about their their wife, their same sex partner, the fact mm-hmm. they've got children, mm-hmm. women who are who don't want children, women who do want children who can't have them, IVF, menopause, you think of all these things that we're talking about in the workplace, and we're just zipping our mouth. I can't talk about that. Can't talk mm-hmm. about that. Can't talk about that.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make for an easy existence, does it, for any of us?
0: No, and that comes back to you know, it, it's painful not to belong. Because you yeah. can't be yeah. your truth, can you?
1: Well we're hard and I mean now you know, now I know that we're hardwired to belong. You know, physiologically we're the same as we were ten thousand years ago when we lived in caves. Mm. You had to belong. Not belonging meant being on the outside of the cave and it was dangerous out there. So, you know, so evolution has seen to it that we try very hard to belong to each other so that we can all stay safe. And physiologically, we're the same. We've got a different environment, different constraints, different things to cope with. But the, the machinery we've got to cope with it is the same. So we're still looking for those signs of danger that, oh, something's up. This is getting to be a dangerous situation. That look they just gave me. Did I say something out of turn? Am I OK? So, you know, I, I understand those things now. So when I catch myself even now, I'm not even now, we're all hardwired to notice those little moments in order to keep us safe. So when I say even now I'm noticing, of course I am. We all are. But this time round, when I do notice those things happening around me and I'm ooh, just wondering if I've, you know, I've upset somebody or, you know, something, I'm aware, first of all, that, it's, that that's potentially what's going on, but I'm also aware why I might be hyper alert to it. And I'm aware of my stuff that I'm piling into it. Mm. And then I might call out the elephant in the room, which I never would have dared to have done back in the day when I wasn't sure if I belonged, if I was good enough. And now I might just say, oh, what just happened? You know, did I say something? Did that trigger something? You know, have I said something out of turn? And then, you know, boom, you clear the air and nine times out of 10 is, what are you You no, know, what, what, what do you think just happened? Nothing happened, and I've just thought I've seen something that you know really wasn't there. I was just being too vigilant. Yeah,
0: I, I completely, I completely understand that. Yeah, it's, it is.
1: Yeah, I, I think,
0: I, I think you're right. It's, it's. We have this innate sense of belonging, that the tribe, the, the prehistoric, uh, prehistory evolution of, of our species our, our our communities we do live in a more complex world but our fundamental mm. needs uh, i mean yeah. not everyone agrees with maslow's hierarchy yeah, mm. but belonging is right in the middle there above above the uh, survival yeah. stuff above the, the yeah. utility stuff so yeah we, we have to we have to feel this sense of belonging before we can sort of get to this point where we can self-actuate and get on with life and and, yeah. and build relationships
1: Well, everything comes down to relationships and people. There's nobody exists in isolation. I don't think anywhere. I don't think it is such a thing. You know, I don't think it exists. We all depend on other people, whether we're conscious of it or not. You know, if, if if you want to go and if you want to eat, you have to get some food. Where are you going to get the food from? Who's put it there? You know, how are you going to get there to get it? other people have had a hand in your means of travel or you, you, you know everything depends on other people having already done something or are in the process of doing something so no wonder we're we're hardwired to belong because it serves us still now and the world is a much happier place if we do recognize the similarities between us you know whatever's going on for me, if I realize probably pretty much the same thing is going on for the other person that there's a very different circumstance from from fearing the other person because you don't you don't recognize the way that they're being or who, you know who they are or what they're saying, what they're doing, fearing that, and then either hiding away from the world because the world's a threatening place, or attacking in some way, them or anybody else. Both are just unconscious strategies for surviving. Hmm. And neither of them are particularly effective for what happens afterwards. It, it, it reduces the possibility rather than, I mean, gosh, you know, it, this sort of thing takes a bit of understanding and a bit of practice. But actually, we do all need the same things. We all need to feel that we have some control over our own lives we need to feel Mm. as if we're okay it doesn't mean you have to be perfect but that we're good enough as we are we don't have to be something different in order to be accepted we you know we all need to feel loved and appreciated we all need to feel that it's okay that we're okay
0: because some of those fears we have um fear of humiliation fear of rejection of fear of making people's judgment <laughs> mm. all the things that kind of hold us back and it's uh mm. as you were speaking then i think yeah we, we do like to be liked we lo- we oh, need yeah. to be loved yeah. we yeah. need to be valued we need to have a purpose we need to mm. understand our part in the big cog of life or society and there's a, such a fear of, of of being an outlier for some for many people. Not everybody. You know, some mm. people are happy be on the edge and being an outlier. But but as, as we said earlier, there's, you're outlying with another group, another tribe who are, who are outliers together. Mm. So th- there's a community somewhere. But yeah, I think there is this. What holds people back sometimes is that social responsibility, that that need to conform in order to to get that validation of who you are, and. It's really hard sometimes to to whack that stop button and say, "Hang on a minute, who am I? Hmm. What what do I want? Where am I? Hmm. Where am I heading? Am I am I really going where I want to be, or, or I just got on this escalator uh, at the age of sixteen and and I'm just, I'm just heading upwards?"
1: But to your point about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, going back again to school, I'm afraid and I'm ashamed to say that I was in the camp who used to, you know, bandy it about. What's the point of doing Latin? It's a dead language. No, you've heard it all before. It's a dead language. should be doing something more useful, blah, blah, blah. And I played up in lessons, which was your job as a kid. You know, as a, a, a year, 20 year teaching for 20 years. And you think, oh, well, they're just doing what I used to do. But, you know, now I am fascinated by language. I'm fascinated by the origin of words, the spelling of words. Why do you spell this this way? But you spell that that way. If I'd paid more attention in my Latin lessons, I would be the wiser and happier for it. But I was on the bandwagon, I just picked up the, the 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 conversation that was going on around me. There would have been other conversations going on around me, but I wasn't paying attention to those. I jumped in with this particular camp and I agreed with them wholeheartedly. But I was only eleven, twelve, thirteen. That's my excuse. As you as you get more experiences, as you get older, you get wiser, you begin to notice other things, then perhaps you're able to make your own decisions more easily. You know, as as that's on an individual basis, but as groups, I think that's the case, that there's this natural maturity or not that groups develop at a certain pace for that group. And even countries, I think, develop. In, in their wisdom and experience and, and all of those things. So, yeah, I
0: would call that a maturity model, isn't it? When you have yes. sort of level zero, level one, and that you can apply that to societies, to organizational growth and Absolutely. development. Where are you in your growth, aren't you?
1: Absolutely. But where I am right now, personally, in my life, I can be talking about that sort of thing. I wish I'd paid more attention in Latin. Hmm. I'm not scratting about every day looking for something to eat or looking for some way to earn enough money to feed my family you can be quite sure i wouldn't be talking about latin lessons if that were the case so it's 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 all very well you you know it's all very well when you've got the fundamentals in place the things that we really need the fundamental things that we need there might be space in your head for the for the more advanced the more developed the more sophisticated mm. thoughts and behavior. And when you've, when, you, when you've got that in place, there might be a bit of space in your head for the next level up. So I'm not just taking care of my lot now. Now I can think about people I've never even met, but I know it's right for me to lend them a hand or to steer things in such a way that that they are better off than they would be if I just turned my back on them. I don't know quite how we got into this. <laughs> no it's
0: it's brilliant i I was chatting to a a gp trainee earlier and we were talking about um what's going on with trainee gps over the last couple of years and covid and around the burnout around the disruption to their studies how there's a lot of imposter syndrome about i can't be a real gp because i haven't had real gp training can i trust myself and We we probably did this at school as well. I remember doing this about being so fixated on my grades, my exams, and then disappointing myself and then moving on to another worrying about this. And it's only when you're, I don't know, when you're older long in the tooth and old enough and ugly enough, you look back and go, none of that really mattered, did it? Mm. It was just kind of, it Mm. was just another stage to get me to the next door.
1: Mm.
0: It was up to me to open that door and make the most of it. And to move on to the next door,
1: mm. I think
0: we, we do we do expect qualifications to give us the keys, give us the give us mm. this, the, the answer. But really, they're just they're just enablers, maybe to give us confidence or to help us focus or whatever it may be. Yeah. And yeah. I think I've never learned Latin, but I I, I can right click, select, paste into Google Translate, yes, and I can translate Latin. And I dare say I could have a good hash at going the other way. Um, I, I think I've, I had I realised that there was, there was going to be a little red squiggly line or a green squiggly line under words in the word processor in 50 years time I would have probably paid even less attention at school yeah. at the time yeah. had I known when the teacher said you're not going to have a calculator wherever you go in the future and you think well actually I do at the moment I've got one on my watch mm. I've got but one isn't on my, that my tremendous
1: backboard. though you know a, a, a few years ago we went to a Shakespeare play at the Globe Theatre and even though the acoustics are so great in there, I just kept missing the odd word and couldn't keep up and then had a brainwave. Googled on my, my phone the script, you know, the um the play. And while there were just one or two places where they shift a couple of things around or left a sentence out, it was, it was almost identical, which meant I had my own subtitles. And isn't it fantastic that we can do that? Brilliant. <laughs> We went. We went to Lohengrin last night at Covent Garden, and the and I kept hearing little um, threads, little light motifs—they're called little um, little phrases of music that kept coming back. Um, um, Lohengrin is is a there's a swan who brings the hero to the stage. He's riding on a swan's back, and we kept getting um, the first few notes of Swan Lake. I thought, Erlo, who stole what from whom? First thing I did was went straight to my phone, discovered that Swan Lake was written a few, 30 few years later. So, so Wagner (laughs) invented that little phrase. It might be a total coincidence or it might be sort of a tongue in cheek thing going on. So, so when I have the time, I'll go back to Google and I'd start educating myself on just a little snippet of of music that now I'm Mm. fascinated by. And that's something that's happened in our lifetime, obviously, some you know my niece has always had that as a facility so you you can't you can't anticipate when you're at schools. This is like me talking to my younger self now. You can't anticipate when you're at school what's going to be useful and why and it's the same same with every experience in life. The best you can hope for is just to suck it all in. Just get the Hmm. best experience you can, get the most out of everything you can right now, even with things that you can't quite see what the point is right now, because you never know, it might be a tremendous advantage later on, just for fun, if nothing else.
0: Yeah, maybe the the life lesson at school is building curiosity, building inquisitiveness, building the tenacity to find out more, Hmm. uh, and being able to translate into application if you like you learn then you can apply yeah. uh, or learning in yeah. chemistry maybe it's about learning the methods of an experiment um this is the, this is my conclusion so I, I often still think about my chemistry lessons when i'm writing uh blog posts or or reports really i've got to have a conclusion i've got yes. to have my recommendations yeah. and a conclusion so it's yep. kind
1: right. of yeah.
0: so nothing to do with chemistry but it's probably taught me a lot of life lessons that i use yes. now in a different way
1: yeah so that's that's about skills and strategy which you can then adapt and use where relevant in your life which is what which, which is what I really enjoy about genius material and the genius principles which is what I do now with people because it it completely transforms their outcome when they've got the few the handful of skills that they need makes a huge difference to how they approach something and therefore a very big difference to the results that they get and it's still the same person. It's, you know, it's, it's not like a, anything has happened for them that couldn't happen to anyone. Like, like the Latin thing, if I'd paid a bit more attention, then I would have learned because I was in the right place and I was being taught the right way. It's, it's not that I was in the wrong place at the right time. I was in the right place at the right time and not paying attention. <laughs> So now I can't apply any of those rules. You know, I keep saying to myself, one day, one day I'll I'll go and buy a book or I'll go on a a GCSE Latin course or something because I would would love to know. Of course, the thing is, as you get older, it feels as if time races away from you and you've got all these other things you've got to do and it'll be on that list forever, I bet. Things that I might get around to doing one day.
0: So much of what you do is around... Development for women, from what I understand, is that like The genius,
1: yes, but not necess- yes, not just women though. Um, the my program, Genius Material, came out of helping teenagers initially learn how to learn for their GCSEs, their A levels, even you know, degree level. Um, and, and then somebody pointed out to me that financial services people in financial services needed to pass some exams before the end of twenty twelve or they'd lose their jobs. And then I started helping people in professional services. So that's men and women. And I teach them how to learn. So I teach them what to do with the information they've got. So their brain makes a pattern of it, sends it to their long-term memory. And because we're hardwired to forget, once it's in your long-term memory, then you'd better have... A simple system for keeping it there. Where the the women specifically come in is because the genius principles is all about using your brain to get better results in your life. Things like confidence, procrastination, um, imposter syndrome, all those sorts of things. It can often be women in a male dominated environment. Um, I'm having conversations all the time with people in top jobs, women in top jobs, who I would call them top jobs, you know, who've been extremely successful, who've been offered some promotion. They know they can do the job and they still haven't stepped into it. Some things causing them to think, oh, yes, but what if? What if I can't cope? What if they find out I'm a fraud? All these things are going on. And I'm not saying for a moment that that doesn't happen for men because I know lots of men, you know, clients who have had similar things going on. And it's often women in a male um dominated environment who just need to understand what's going on in their head why so instead of being thwarted by their thoughts they work with their thoughts so that they they can just safely step forward into a new role and know that they've got every bit as much right to be there as anybody else. And they will learn on the job. No one expects them to know all the answers straight away. It's having the confidence in yourself to know that you'll do your best. It will take however long it takes and everything will be okay.
0: Yeah, I'm, I think that's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's having the confidence to know that everything will be okay. Because you just need you just, just need to be things. good enough.
1: Mm, yeah, you just you just need to know that who I am is good enough. I'm okay with me. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I, I misjudge things, I say things, do things that I wish I hadn't done. I'm not perfect, but I'm okay with who I am because none of us is perfect. And if I can live with me, then it, it it makes it easier for other people to live with me because we're mm. all in the same boat. We mess up, we apologise, we try and do better the next time. It's not the end of the world.
0: Yeah, I think a, you can put a bit of French into there and say, an earth is an earth, an egg is an <laughs> egg, an, an, enough is enough. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I think if we're, not, if, we're not, if we're not kind to ourselves, as you say, we keep trying to chase this ideal – and actually that ideal is being somebody else, mm-hmm. not, be, not being good mm-hmm. enough in our minds is I need to be someone different. Whereas if we can find that self-acceptance, self-belief, self-love, self-identity, we can start to believe that what we are is good enough, as you say. And I think another phrase is you know, perfection is the enemy of progress or something. Yeah, You can yeah. never get something done whilst mm-hmm. you're always focusing on it. And I've, I've had these debates with people in the past saying, it's not about 80 20. You know, people say you've got to get 80% of 20%. Yeah. Some people say, no, it's got to be perfect. It's got to be right. It's got to be right. And you get to these sort of philosophical mm. debates about when is a brain surgeon good enough? Okay. And I say, well, mm. surely the definition of good enough for a brain surgeon is the patient makes a recovery in some, they don't die is first of all, then they make a recovery to a certain point. And that person, their life is, is still productive. Okay. I guess that's good enough whether they can walk perfectly afterwards is kind of, is that a failure? No, because the outcome has been positive, their cancer, their tumour has been removed, whatever it is. So I think yeah, we, we have to set our sometimes our goals on the way in that we're trying to be rather than get to the end and go, well, I, I didn't meet my goal that I wasn't sure what, what, what it was anyway. Mm. So I think destination planning is, is, is very useful so we, we know when we are good enough
1: i think I think being kind to yourself, understanding and generous with yourself at the same time acknowledging things that perhaps you can do differently the next time, mm. I think is the key you know where there's a lot of research around belonging and learning we can 't learn if we don't feel like we belong, so that 's something that schools and universities really need to focus on. I remember years ago i was um I was quite active at the theater, the local theater and um I've done some lovely things down there. I've been the MD of some of my favourite musicals. You know, that's just like heaven. You raise your arms to start. Nothing, no sound whatsoever. Dead quiet. You move and this wall of sound starts. Oh, I've got the shivers just thinking about it. One occasion I was auditioning for the part of an opera singer. I am not an opera singer. It was for Jenny Lind in Barnum. And... I resisted it and resisted it and resisted it. My friends were saying, you know, go for it, go for it. And I just, I'm not an opera singer. I'm going to let everybody down. It's going to be farcical. And then, you know, some friends were saying to me, but there is such a thing as a light operatic voice, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, anyway, what changed everything for me was the director siding up to me and saying, you're the best we've got. We haven't got anyone better for the job than you she wasn't saying you're the best in the world (laughs) she was saying you're the you know of of all the average to better people that we've got who could do the job for that job you're the one for that job and so I can stop talking stop thinking about me I started thinking about the group what the group needed and Auditioned for the part, got the part, pulled my socks up, worked really hard at it, because that's what I do, took it very seriously, did the very best I could, and I think got away with it. I had a blast, loved it. And the whole show all unfolded and it, and it all worked out happily because everybody who got a part did the best they could too. So sometimes yeah. it's worth thinking about, you know, if can I, what's the best I can do? is that is that good enough i don't have to be better than anyone else i just have to be the best i can be is that good enough and the answer would yeah, be but I mean, well, the best day yes. the
0: yeah. best in the room the best yeah. the best of the moment yeah I, I mean i dare say that had there been another candidate who was in quotes, better.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: They may, they they, but they may still feel that they're not the best, and they they would have someone they would yeah. look up to and say, "Oh, hang on a minute, I'm not really that good."
1: But it's interesting. It's 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 a it's not exactly a numbers game. It's kind of a um a combination game. When you, I actually have sat on audition panels and realised now how difficult it is, because you've got particular roles that you need to fill, and you've got a, a finite number of people you can draw on to fill those posts and the ideal man so if you start with the first male role for example the ideal man is that man there bang job done brilliant decision but you've got to match him up to an appropriate woman for them to look as though they're falling in love and the story can unfold and now you've got a height thing you've got an age thing you've got all sorts of stuff going on. So hang on a minute. So let's just pull that man out of there because he'd be really good in that other position over there too. Let's just hang on to him as an idea for the second male role for the moment. If we put this other man into that position, look, we've got a choice of two great options to go against blah, 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 blah. And then you you put that one with, you should have a computer program, I think, to sort all of this out. That would be much quicker. And so that's why I got the role, not because there was anybody else who might have sung it better, looked better, moved better, all those things, but because everybody had to slot in to a place where the whole thing as a whole worked as well as it could work. And on that basis, I took the role because I knew that, it was, going to, it was going to be okay when I focused on the whole rather than just on me being something that I felt I wasn't. It was a, yeah, lesson. It was a lesson there yeah. for me.
0: That uh, sounds like something I, I've got a soapbox sort of talk about, which is uh, about meritocracy in the hiring process. And often, when we're selecting who is the best candidate for the job, who is the best person for this role, our criteria is very, very narrow. It's years' experience doing the job before, work for a similar company, demonstrable et etc et etc et etc but we we often forget the other factors as you say the height the accent the uh, all those are mm-hmm. the soft skills the uh, mm-hmm. your your um your empathy your compassion your ability to get on with others. So when we're looking at who the best person is, it's exactly the same way as when you're choosing your leading lady and leading man. There's a whole load of factors there Mm. that make up the best person. And I think sometimes in business, we we tend to focus on these hard skills rather Mm. than some of the softer Mm. nuances that make someone a better fit, a better belonging, if you like.
1: Yes, yes. And and better as a cog in the the group wheel. That's – Yeah, I mean – Yes, we
0: don't necessarily want culture fit we don't want to hmm. we don't want to make sure we have this hmm. monoculture of people who are the same but we we do need to make sure that we are giving people that fair choice otherwise we end up with uh, yeah just just people who have done it before without necessarily the the, the extra dimension you say of of the fit of uh, the other skills they bring.
1: Don't you think part of that whole issue, though, is that it's much easier to see what qualifications, years of experience, companies they've worked with. It's a lot easier to tick those boxes and put them in the possibility pile yeah. than to because, have an interview yeah, and try and make those judgments yeah. for yourself?
0: Recruiters want to see a CV. They want, when they're doing, yeah. their, pl- they're doing their interview right. planning, it's much easier. Well, it's much easier to, it's perceived to be much easier to be objective when you're comparing absolutes or evidence it's a lot harder to be objective when you're looking at potential capability Mm -hmm. ideas that takes Mm -hmm. a different type of recruitment process to be able to drill into being creating scoring systems and keywords Mm -hmm. and and how would you type phrases around situations which you can then evaluate in a a more sort Mm -hmm. of a Rounded way. So, yeah, it's a different skill. And we've, we, we invented the fact, when we invented fax machine, we invented the CV. Before then, we had application forms, didn't we? We, yes. we used to fill in that. Yes. We'd, we'd, we'd phone up the company and say, I'd like to apply for the role, or you see it yeah. in the newspaper. And then they'd send you an application form. You'd write it out longhand in pencil first and go over the top of it in ink so you didn't make any yeah. mistakes. That's right. Then you'd post it off. So, we didn't, mm. we didn't, you know, we couldn't even photocopy it. So, unless mm. we wrote it out twice on our own bit of paper, mm. we'd never know what we said. Mm-hmm. and then the fax machine came along the printer came along computers came along and we invented the CV we all mm-hmm. had a resume and then the email came along we now we now PDF it and email it off mm-hmm. so if we if we, if we invented the CV what probably late 80s early 90s we can uninvent it I <sighs> think of go back to um just think about how we can get the best out of people and understand that uh, about potential rather than just past performance. Ah, another soapbox of mine. well <laughs> we we all
1: do have our our own biases, unconscious and otherwise. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten which orchestra it was, but they um put each um auditionee behind a curtain yes. so so the people choosing you know some violinists could only use their ears. And it, you know, it was quite interesting that that they ended up as a consequence, perhaps with a different balance of types of people from different backgrounds. From they might how they might have done if they were yes. paying attention more to the CV before they even yes, walked into the yes, because from room. the
0: audience perspective, the orchestra look very orchestral, don't they? They have a certain body stature. They have a certain I don't know.
1: There's
0: something about people who are playing in an orchestra that they look like orchestra, <laughs> orchestral people. Mm. So I guess if you're if you're doing blind or anonymous auditions, then at least you can take out that visual factor. Help. Yeah, that 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 class element, maybe or that the schooling element. It's yeah. just pretty down to how yeah. do they sound.
1: Yes, exactly. Which probably is quite important in an orchestra. You'd like <laughs> <laughs> you,
0: you to think that that was one of the key, key yes. criteria.
1: Yes, you think so. Uh,
0: and timekeeping and relatability. And, well, there are and other things. Of of course, there yeah, are. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm dying to ask you about um, grand designs. You, you, you mentioned that your oh, house was featured on Grand Designs. Yes. So tell me a bit about that. That was a
1: very, very, very interesting experience for us because I think we were. Well, I know I was very naive about the whole thing. It hadn't occurred to me that it was a reality TV show and subject to all the usual social media scrutiny. It just didn't occur to me. What did occur to me was it would be nice to support our architect, um, you know, just get a bit of publicity for him, because what he was doing was ambitious and clever and lovely, um, and he was my first husband. So, you know, I wanted to, wanted to do that. Um, but what I hadn't realized is once you're on the telly, then you've, in effect, you've put your head above the parapet, and I just wasn't ready for it. And I, I found that really hard. In fact, I wouldn't even have known about it, except that our episode was the let's think about this our episode was the 99th episode, but we were invited to London to the studios to celebrate the 100th episode, which was going to air the week later but we went to an early viewing of it the night that our show was airing. Does this make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So our show was actually being played to the nation while we were watching the following week. And Kevin Kevin McLeod did a, a little bit of an introduction to everything, and he mentioned hashtag grand design. So for the first time in my life, I went to Twitter and watched the twitter feed unfold during our show in effect and i was really really astonished because we built our house for us we bore in mind the effect it was having on the environment and the, the neighbors and everything else so it should have all been you know all happy days for everybody but we built it in the style that we wanted for us not for someone else so I could have been perfectly happy. I would have been perfectly happy with some people saying, ooh, that's horrid. Don't like that," and some people saying, "Oh, I quite like it actually." That would have been absolutely fine because you know who doesn't have their own taste in in houses as well as everything else. But what I really wasn't ready for was the abuse. Wow! And what I realise is that because it's a um, what do you call it? Um, a reality show there's got to be an angle. And we had two angles. The first one was the fact that I was married to my, yeah, to our architect. And the second was that there was huge antagonism with the neighbors at the time, some old school neighbors who wanted a house with a pointy roof and we weren't going to do that. Um, so they, you know, the the show interviewed a lot of the neighbors and there was a lot of vitriol and all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and so consequently, a lot of the abuse was about how horrid we were as people. And I just wasn't ready for it. I found it very difficult. Now, what was interesting, talking about this belonging thing, I joined in the conversation. So the, the woman from Grand Designs joined in the conversation. And it, it I I just said, oh, I'm sorry you think that, or um, it was interesting you should say that, actually, XYZ. So I was being really kind of um, what would the word be? Kind of open about the whole thing, not giving them two barrels, which is what I felt like doing sometimes. And you know, they they were attacking me. It would have be been nice to have attacked back, but I didn't do that. I was just. But what was interesting? What was interesting was that nine out of ten of them piped down immediately. It was it was all oh welcome the celebrity to the fold sort of attitude. I'm not a bloody celebrity. You know, I just happened to be on the, t- on the telly for 10 minutes. But all of a sudden, because I became a real person or maybe even, a, you know, a part-time celebrity, as I say, for 10 minutes, there was a whole other attitude. It just nipped some of it in the bud. But of course, as of years ago, that was 10 years ago. And, um, you know, we're on repeat all the time. So there'll always be a flurry of, of the same again. And I do think... I do think it's unhealthy. I do think it's a problem. And and it doesn't really affect me very much these days because I'm expecting it. You know, I'll see it and I'll go, oh, we're on again. Here we go again. And I know they don't know me. I know they're misjudging me because of the angle of the show. I know that I'm an okay person. You know, I had to work really hard, still do, have to work really hard in the face of all of this you're not good enough you don't belong we're ostracizing you we're judging you it's it's been a hell of a lesson mm-hmm. and i do i do think honestly i do think that that you know programs need to take better care of the people they depend on to make their programs to take, you know, one very, very extreme case, the Jerry, not the Jerry Springer, the other one, Jeremy Kyle show stopped yeah. dead dead in its tracks. I use that word um, deliberately. Mm. You know, it's it's not fair because, you know, a, a lot of people are, well, we're all vulnerable. We all have different levels of vulnerability. And we're all vulnerable in one shape or form. And, you know, throwing people into a situation that they can't cope with, I I think is a very cynical thing to do. And I'm not talking about any show in particular now. I'm talking about in general the way that we treat the people we see on the telly.
0: Yeah, I, I my wife and I had a similar experience. We, uh, but maybe not as extreme as yours. But we took part in a Channel Four documentary um, for over a three-year period. So we were we were followed and and. Uh, so it was a longitudinal study, I think they called it, of uh, of gender transitioning. So they followed me in the early stages through three years of of, uh, of our lives, and there was, there was eight other people who also featured. And we we did receive some uh, some good safeguarding by Channel Four RDF. Mm-hmm. So we were assigned a. I'm not sure whether you call them a psychologist, a mental health specialist, That's but we had regular good. calls yeah. about how news. we were, how we were doing. Yeah. Uh, the crew that we were liaising with were very conscious about our mental health, the impact on us. We were briefed and coached about our social media uh the point of broadcast, how we should lock it down, how we should switch it off, how we should basically hide hide for a week and that sort of stuff. Um, so we got, to be honest, I think the show itself landed in a way that it, it didn't create a huge reaction. It was yes, kind of yes, the,
1: it was the, trying to create respect and understanding. Perhaps yeah. that was that was the aim of it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah,
0: so the end was your... in, the in, in, the, in the papers were basically it was nice it was lovely there was no kind of like shock horror reaction I, mean, yeah. it, I think if it went out today there'd be a lot more vitriol around it but at the time really? it wasn't and, and what was your motivation episode, sorry
1: sorry, sorry I motivation
0: again. um the motivation was uh, and i stand by this today was if by telling our story we could help one other family one other person uh get on with their life in a better, more positive way. That was, that was our motivation. One person to be impacted in a more positive way. Um, and I've met people, I bumped into people who've who've seen it. I've had people contact me on LinkedIn. I've had people randomly message me. And I also, I also often show the clip because it also got, it got featured on Gogglebox on the following Friday. So our clip was the Gogglebox clip at the end of the show. Um, so we probably got more views from Gogglebox. Than yes. We did live on the yes, show. So I'm a avid
1: fan. Yep.
0: Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think on Facebook they pasted the they pasted like a clip of it of the Gogglebox clip. Hmm. And that's a, that's over six million views. Hmm. Um, and there's a whole host of of comments beneath the, the Facebook posting, of which I have dived in there and. Uh, I decided it's it's, it's too mm. toxic and complicated. Mm. Yes, there's a lot of positivity in there. Mm. There's a lot of uh, people who are advocating and standing up and, and on my behalf and our behalf. Yeah. Um, but there's still too much of of the of, of the negative rhetoric. So yeah, it's not a place I want to go. Mm. But yeah, it, it was a it was a it was. Oh, I'm, I'm sure yours was. It was a quite a stressy experience having a camera being interviewed. Yeah. There's a lot more to it. Than i'd ever thought there's a lot of uh, background stuff b-roll footage you know there's going into a cafe to have a have a conversation an interview they're filming your hand they're filming your feet they're doing yeah. it again because there's an aircraft flying over yeah. some music playing yeah they watch you coming in so they film the same shot for five or six yeah. different angles yeah with one camera so they're, they're swapping around you have to redo everything
1: yeah it's uh, just so quite interesting to watch them execute their yeah. craft yeah
0: yeah yeah. So now I've got a huge amount of respect for people who do homes under the hammer or yeah. some of these daytime programs you yeah. think. I bet you've done that ten times. And you're walking down the street, I bet I know what's going on there. There's someone running with, running with the camera on their shoulder going backwards, you know, <gasps> jumping over the bin as you're walking you down the do street. You do get an
1: insight into the whole thing, don't you? Yeah. Well so, so like it, us then it a
0: fascinating process. Yeah, fascinating. So like
1: process. us, you you were doing it for altruistic reasons. I wanted to do some good for you know for for Chris our architect. Um, Mm. Now don't get me wrong, I also thought it'd be lovely to have some sort of record of the builds as we went along. We talked about having one of those um, uh, time lapse cameras in a tree during the thing, but we never got round to that because we you know as it happened we had Grand Designs, so so that was a lovely thing for us, and you know that's that's part of the motivation. But really, it was to to acknowledge and to give an opportunity to someone else, who I didn't owe anything to, by the way. You know, it's, it's not like um, I changed my mind first time around. Anyway, so that's what we did. But, you know, there was always that angle um, with the show. And the funny thing about the neighbours, and they've, you know, they've long disappeared or moved on. The funny thing was that we'd only just moved into our new house. And with all the flooding in this area, several of the houses round about they, they actually had to do something. You know, they really had to shore up or move up or knock down and start again. And we deliberately went online and supported the applications of those who had been so difficult with us. So, you know, it felt a little bit as if, you know, we were taking the moral high ground. And we just didn't want any more aggro, to be honest with you. And, you know, we've got some great friends around here. But we hadn't made friends yet. All we had was what seemed like antagonism. And and a couple of times, you know, I was questioning, why would we want to live here? Well, actually, there were loads of reasons why we would. But, you know, when we were having such antagonism from the the environment and we didn't feel like we were accepted and belonged, then, um, you know, you sort of like want to disappear, dig a hole and jump into it and stay there, you know, like hide. But it's all worked out happily.
0: It's all worked out happily.
1: Very happily.
0: Happily ever after. It's a bit Goldilocks. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Lizette, um absolutely incredible. I mean, we've been chatting away for, well, well over an hour, including the pre-record green room. Um, really insightful, really interesting. I've I've enjoyed our conversation no end. How can our listeners get in touch with you?
1: Okie dokie. So um, it depends what you're after. I'm the genius maker. So one website is geared towards people who want to learn how to learn efficiently, quickly. So they pass all of their exams first time with a score of 80% by doing less work. That's genius material. So you need to go to genius-material.com. If you're interested in in mindset, confidence, procrastination, moving to the next level, then that's geniusprinciples.com. So, the first one has a hyphen, genius-material.com for the learning. For the genius principles, it's geniusprinciples.com. And, Joe, I, I've had a blast. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much for having me on your show.
0: No, it's a pleasure. It's well, one pleasure. of the reasons
1: I wanted to talk to you is because you're in such an inspiration. Because, because you know, when it, when it comes to giving yourself permission to be yourself, you are a great example of that. And I really wanted to thank talk you. to you. Thank you
0: so much. That's uh, oh, that's wonderful. That's touching. Thank you so much. Thank you, um, Lisette. Amazing. And a huge thank you to you, the listeners, uh, for tuning in, for staying to the end. Uh, please do subscribe if you're not already. Uh, you can keep up to date on future episodes of the Inclusion Bytes podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, please share this. I have a number of other exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'll be equally inspired by over the next few weeks and months. And of course, if you'd like to be a guest, then please let me know. I welcome any comments and suggestions on how I can improve future shows, if that's possible, to at uk. And finally, my name is Joanne Lockwood. It's been an absolute honor and pleasure to host this podcast for you today.
1: Catch you next time. Bye.